Welcome back, people of Earth and all the ships at sea, to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour Series 2. I am your host, Jason Rutledge. So, in this episode, we're diving into the phenomena of the satanic panic of the 1980s, its connection to Dungeons & Dragons, and of course, one of the many movies to come out of the whole mess, Mazes & Monsters. Um, You might notice in this one we talk a lot about two books with a particular connection to this movie. One is The Dungeon Master by William Deere, and the book the movie was based on, Mazes and Monsters by Rona Jaffe. Now, both books have an honored place in the Dick Miller Memorial Library here at the studio. Don't hesitate to pick up copies for yourself. They are both really interesting reads, in particular that first one. Um, Nathan and Katie are back to talk about this movie and everything associated with it. But first, um, hey, Autopilot? Yes. Didn't you say that someone sent in a critique of our show? It's in the voicemails. Okay, let's check this out. These people deal with problems in their lives by acting them out. But in this case, there might be a loss of distinction between reality and fantasy, and possibly the loss of life in the process. You went, you went to Medea on that. Hello? <laughs> it's the turkey bites. The turkey bite's kicking in. Oh, Nathan, you're not allowed to bring <laughs> snacks anymore. Yeah. Well, the key to not making them smell like morgue farts when you open the bag <laughs> is to quit closing the bag. Or just don't eat them. Well, it's like a Schrodinger's fart, in other words. It doesn't Does it exist? exist, or not or exist <laughs> until you've opened the bag. I love Schrodinger. Ah, uh, Ricky Schroeder. Oh, yeah. Too. Quite the philosopher, Ricky Schroeder. Oh, wait, that's a different. That's, yeah. Is it? Yeah, I think he was Are the kid sure? that was born with a silver spoon. It is spoon. Rick Schroeder now. Like, literally born with a silver spoon? I feel bad for his mom. <laughs> yeah, they had to have a <laughs> dental surgeon came in. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was nasty. A dental surgeon? Oh, because it's yeah. in his mouth. I was like, yeah. but you don't need a dentist for birth. <laughs> not for a birth, no. You generally would not go to a dentist <laughs> to give birth to a child. I would, I would hope not. Unless you had a chatterbox. <laughs> I do believe this is my favorite episode so far. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the fucking name of the movie yet. <laughs> First time somebody's mentioned the movie Chatterbox probably since. I think I mentioned it before. Did you? Oh. Candy it Wilson? sounds familiar. Oh. Okay. He <laughs> was in all the sex newspapers. <laughs> hey, they're vintage, man. They're going to be worth something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not easy to Google search. Anyway, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Smooth Reels Radio Hour Series 2. Or hello. Hello. In this episode, we are talking about mazes and monsters and its place in the cultural phenomenon of the 1980s known as the Satanic Panic. Uh, mazes and Monsters was the CBS Tuesday Night Movie of the Week in very late December 1982. It's an adaptation of the Rona Jaffe book of the year before, which is itself a retelling of sorts of an urban legend, which is actually based on the very true story of the disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III from the Michigan State University campus in 1978. Uh, How that story changed, got filtered, and rewritten 
led us to this movie and the role it played in the protests, persecutions, and pearl clutching that followed over the next 10 years. Now, how much either of you ever looked into the backstory of this about James Dallas Egbert? We'll just call him Dallas from here on because his name's too long. Why not Egbert? I like that better. You want to call him Egbert? Yeah. We can call him Egbert. That's fine. <laughs> if, if you're all more comfortable with that. So the differences between... Pearl the, clutching and... Egbert. No, I'm sorry. Egbert, yeah. The differences between Rona Jaffe's book and, and the TV movie are so minor that it's not really even worth mentioning. I mean, they really did almost take it word for word. They shuffled a few things around for time and changed one bit toward the end, but it's so insignificant to the overall story that it's, there's really no need to contrast the two. The big difference comes between Rona Jaffe's book and how it's a very, very thinly veiled adaptation of the Egbert story. What? I Would just can't hear it. Egbert? I know. <laughs> I can't hear it and not laugh. I'm sorry. Continue. It's a tripwire at this point, so. Okay. Anyway. I'm laughing because she's laughing. I won't laugh. I won't show my face. Contagious. No, please. So, well, there's a couple of different things at work here that caused all of this to happen. I mean, people were headed out for D&D well before this movie. Mm-hmm. And well after. It didn't really start anything, but it sure as shit didn't help. I can remember watching this movie and even at my young age, first playing this game, thought, oh shit, I'm going to be running damage control on this for months. And there's a couple of reasons I felt that way. First, they don't give Robbie, who's the Tom Hanks character in this movie, a name for his problem other than Mazes and Monsters. They don't go into any of his underlying condition. This is the only label they stick on what happened to him. Well, at the end... In the epilogue, they don't really go into they detail. Don't, but they don't they think epilogue? No. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm talking about... Oh, like the end scene. The I thought there events. was like a written yeah. thing. I was like, yeah. mine didn't have that. No, no, no. Well, it's written <laughs> yeah, as an epilogue in the book. It fell out of your DVD case, probably. <laughs> you might want to look on the floor, but no. For my monsters yeah. and mazes. In, ja- in Jaffe's book, she kind of hints at their problems. I mean, each character gets their own special chapter about how unhappy their childhoods were, and which is followed immediately by a chapter about how unhappy their parents' childhood was, and then alternates like that. Okay. But still, nothing's really very explicit except the Mazes and Monsters connection for all of them. It doesn't go much deeper than that. Now, part of this is because people just had it out for D&D at the time. It was the scapegoat. And also because of how the events of the Egbert story played out and the arrival of the book, which... Uh, private investigator William Dare wrote. He was the guy that the family hired to find the kid. Mm. So <clears throat> a little bit of backstory on Egbert. I'm going to keep, I'm going to say it as much as I can just to make you laugh. Here we go. You ready? You bracing yourself? Are you ready for this so, onslaught of Y'all ready year? for this? So the, <laughs> Sorry. the differences between mazes and the true story. So in mazes and monsters, we get the character of JJ. Sort of played by Chris Makepeace, although sort of. I what do you mean, really sort of? I don't think he did. He, he did, come off. He as did a, play it. He did play. He it. was in it. Yeah. He but didn't did you seem bad at all. I mean, he's a sixteen-year-old in a college setting. Could you imagine right. how you would have acted? Well, we can tell you how he not acted. Like Chris Makepeace. In the original story, in the true story, James Dallas Egbert was a sixteen-year-old sophomore at Michigan State. He was a child genius, computer wizard. I think he actually was called on at the age of 15 to repair parts of the computer systems at Love Field here in Dallas. Oh. Or maybe it was a 
Might have been an Air Force base. I'm not really, I don't remember that well. It's been a, a while since I read the book. Air Force base. He wanted to fit in, which is hard to do because he's with a bunch of adults doing their adult stuff. You know, there's a lot of drugs going around. Morgue farts. There's a lot of hookups going on between students and students and professors. And the only way he had to get into a group was through D&D. Because otherwise, you know, they didn't want to hang around a 16-year-old. It didn't look good. Even if nothing was happening, it still was kind of, yeah, we're back off. I have a question. Yeah. So do you think, upon watching this movie, I did not know it was based on an actual thing until after I watched it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I can get what you're saying about that character's portrayal, especially being based on Egbert. But as its own thing, you don't pick that up mm-hmm. at all that he is portraying that character in a different light or anything like that. Well, there is a good reason for that. The TV movie was a sort of filtered down and sanitized version of the book, which was in itself very heavily sanitized version of the true story because at the time nobody knew the true story right so that book wasn't out yet right so what happened was egbert had tons of problems psychological problems Mm -hmm. he wasn't getting along with anybody he was having terrible trouble keeping up his grades it was he was collapsing he was also making his own drugs he was making pcp Mm -hmm. in his dorm room and selling it to students to try to get in with them wow uh, he was discovering his own bisexuality at the time, which God, he, it's he not just, completely yeah. clear that anything happened between him and some of the adults, even the professors at Michigan Aww. State. But it is heavily implied that something did. Wow. And he had his D&D games. He, JJ in the movie suggests that going down into the caves to play this game has never been done before. That's a bunch of crap. This had been going on way longer than that. Well, I mean, you even have J.J. who kind of in the beginning alluded to going to the caves to kill himself. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was his first bring. That's the first time he brought up the caves was, well, I could just go in there and, you know, then I could be legend, basically. And then that's when he decides to turn it into the game. Students and professors had been playing D&D in the steam tunnels underneath Michigan State for years before this. So he knew about the steam tunnels because of that. And one night he vanished. He went down into the steam tunnels, preparing to kill himself. He took a bunch of pills with him and thought he was going to crawl into an alcove, take all of these pills, which I think he made himself, and just croak right there. But he didn't. He got very sick, crawled out of the tunnels and made it to someone's house that he knew who took him in. And from there, he got moved from one house to another because, again, he's 16 and no one wants to get caught with this kid. Even if they weren't doing anything, A lot of stuff was going to get exposed and they didn't. By then, the detective was on the case and was on campus looking for this guy and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Detective Dare, I don't think he was a detective. I want to say private eye. He was a shameless private eye. I'll say that. Very famous guy. Uh, Some of his cases have been adapted for Magnum P.I., for example. Mm. So he was the man. He had a team of people with him. He knew that Egbert had gone into the tunnels and wanted to investigate, but the university wouldn't let him. They said the tunnels were inaccessible. Which is crap because everybody had been down there. He went down there. But to do it on an official basis, he had to get the university to agree. And the way he did that was he knew the press was going to be stationed at his hotel waiting for him because he was the one working it. The university cops weren't doing anything. So he decided to use that to his advantage and publicly humiliate the university into letting him down into the tunnels. So I'm going to take a bit from his 
from the book here, which became the lightning rod that started this whole thing. So bear with me, please. Uh, driving back to the Red Roof Inn, I knew I'd have to face the reporters, and this time I decided to use the session to my advantage. I was going to have to pretend to be hot, which wouldn't be difficult. I was hot. It was time to shake things up. I don't know what his speaking voice sounded like, so I'm just kind of winging it here. Uh, the question and answers lasted 45 minutes, but the important part for me came right at the beginning. I asked for quiet and started talking. I have just been given some further information, which confirms that Dallas Egbert was playing Dungeons and Dragons in the tunnels beneath the campus. This information is absolutely unimpeachable. The university says it's impossible to even get into those tunnels. It is possible. It is in fact easy. And Dallas went into those tunnels. Mrs. Egbert, I might add, told me that Dallas went into the tunnels. I do not know why the university is taking the position that access to these tunnels is impossible, but I know the school is wrong. And he went on and on and on after that. So what part of that do you think the press latched onto almost immediately? The Dungeons and Dragons connection, of course. Well, yeah. Um, I have a scapegoat for something. Well, they couldn't. I think it might have been the Dungeons and Dragons connection. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. By the time they got access to the tunnels. I was a little late on that. Sorry. The kid wasn't even down there anymore. In fact, he wasn't even in Michigan anymore. One of the people whose house he was crashing in got him a bus ticket to New Orleans. And he was actually in Morgan City, Louisiana, by the time they even got down into the tunnels to look for him. Hmm. And as it went on, you know, the, someone called William Dare and told him, I'll tell you where the kid is, but you have to leave Michigan. Because they didn't want any of this blowing back on them. So he came back to Dallas, this Dallas, where, he's, where he lives. I think he lives in Seagoville, actually. I like that you say this Dallas. Yeah. Well, not to get confused Are with the kid. Are there other Dallases? I don't oh, want to get confused with oh, I totally forgot alien. his name was Dallas. So I was like. He gets a call. hung up on the Egbert. Egbert. He gets a call that the kid's in Morgan City. He flies out there, picks him up, and takes him home in the space of an hour and a half. So Egbert got rescued. Egbert never told his whole story about what happened in all that time. He told some things, which we know. And I've related here, but he never told his parents anything. He never told the detective anything. In fact, he told William Dare that he knew that the stories about the drugs and the bisexuality was going to come out. And he made Dare promise not to write his book until after his younger brother had gotten out of high school. So the brother wouldn't have to deal with any bullying because mm, of it. Okay. So as a result, the book, which told the actual full story, didn't come out until 1984. And by then the anti-Dungeons and Dragons crowd and the Mazes and Monsters people had already gotten a two or three year head start on this thing. Was it, there was no Mazes and Monsters no. thing. It's just, it's D&D, &D, yeah, right? They much, didn't yeah. want to get sued. Okay. I'm just making sure. They did not want to get sued by TSR, so they changed the name. Right, right, right. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because just there have that. been various mm -hmm. tabletop named things right, inspired that have by been similar to D&D. &D. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was interesting because watching it without the knowledge of Egbert and his story and all mm -hmm. of that, I did still immediately think of the whole satanic panic D&D &D thing. Sure. Like I did think like it definitely with how that opening scene is portrayed when the news reporters there and it's like, oh, my God, they were playing mazes and monsters like it, it, it yeah. shows that part of it. The satanic panic, I mean, we can, you can kind of debate when it started and when it sort of ran its course. 
I tend to... I mean, it still, I think, has its roots today. Yeah. Not as prevalent as it once was. You know what but... I mean. I mean, if, if you wanted to... It has to, all different avenues. If so, you wanted to, yeah. you could mm-hmm. take it all the way back to any number of witch trials from whenever you wanted to go back. I was going to say rock and roll, but you went further back. I, rock I, and roll and video games nowadays are the new scapegoat. So, I yeah. mean, there's always going to be that thing that... And Tejano your, your Country people are going to. is also... Okay, that's not at all. Okay, no. keep going. Well, I don't know what that is, well, I, so I can't. I tend to. I tend to. <laughs> I tend to bracket the 1980s panic period with the 1980 publication of Michelle Remembers, and the end in 1990 of the McMartin preschool case trial. What's Michelle Remembers? So Michelle Remembers was a book written by a psychiatrist or professional shrink called named uh, Lawrence Pazdor. So in 1976, he had a patient named Michelle Smith who started therapy with him. And Pazdor spent about 14 months and about 600 hours using his deep hypnosis technique and some very leading questions to recover Michelle's memories of ritual satanic abuse at the age of five at the hands of her mother and a satanic cult. Now, we should say that no evidence was ever found that any of it happened. Michelle I'm going to cl- read this. Michelle claimed <laughs> to have been held captive by the cult for its 81 straight days as they performed what? different rituals on her, to which her teachers replied that they would have had some memory of her being yeah. out of class for 81 straight days. Well, there was also a lot of those where it was like the kids were talking about how they were taken down to the basement of the school oh, and then they were like, but there's no basement in the school yeah. and there's tons of... Oh, it gets worse yeah. than that. So, but it didn't matter because everybody saw the Pazdor book and believed it. And well, of course, he went, he was on the talk show circuit for years afterwards with this. He married his patient after a while. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the audio people that don't get the visual on this are going to really miss what just happened to my face there. (gasps) That's horrible. (laughs) Talking about the the kids making accusations. Yeah. The the biggest one was the, I think was the McMartin preschool case because it went on for so long. Yeah, that's, I, I'm familiar with that one. So in case Nathan and our dear listeners, are you familiar? I'm not going to pretend that I am, no. So in 1980, <laughs> it got started really in 1983 when this mother in a bitter divorce accused her husband, who was also a preschool teacher, of molesting their son. That turned into the police sending letters to all the parents of all the kids at this preschool with instructions on how to interrogate your kid about what might have happened to them at the hands of this guy at it the It was preschool. basically like a shakedown on all of these children. Oh, absolutely. And they were very misleading or like leading questions so and things like that. The pretrial investigation went on for three years from 84 to 87 and ended with 360 kids claiming to have been ritually abused at this school. Now, I'm going to go through... The top five allegations that were made, and either one of There's you just a top five list. Yeah, just oh uh, yeah. Either one of you just uh, give me a shout when I get to one that you think probably didn't happen. Okay, here we I go. Mean, Riding in hot air balloons. We're good. Seeing witches that fly. Were they in the hot air balloon? Don't know. We're still good. I'm sorry. I should not be joking about right. this. We're still good here. Okay. Orgies at car washes and airports. Totally believe that. You believe that one? Okay, we got one. You're still with the prosecutors on this one. Uh, children claiming to be flushed down toilets into secret tunnels where they were ritually abused and then cleaned up again before their parents could get come pick them up. Mm, keep going. 
And last one is my personal favorite. A lot of the kids were shown a series of photographs and asked to pick out which ones were the ritual abusers. And some of them identified a photo of Chuck Norris. Ah, poor Chuck. Still with us on this. The whole, that whole case was just a a mess. Very wackadoo. There were so many of these kinds of cases, though. The McMartin. I forgot about the toilet thing, though. The McMartin case ended in 1990, by the way, with zero prosecutions. They could find absolutely no evidence that anything happened. But if you've ever heard somebody in a crime show say the phrase, now show me on the dolly where the bad man hurt you, that's where this comes from. And there were other cases all over the country that were popping up because of this. I mean, there were kids who claimed that the uh, teachers brought in a giraffe and slaughtered it in front of them to scare them into not saying anything. That's such a peculiar animal. Where did they get a giraffe? Yeah, that's very... The zoo? How do you hide a giraffe? (laughs) It could have been a baby giraffe. And it wasn't out in the courtyard. It was in the classroom. What is... This was a this was a moral panic that always resolved around something else. It couldn't possibly be our parenting. It couldn't possibly be any problems the kids were having. It was something like, say, D&D that was causing this issue. And the movie Mazes and Monsters. Well, I, I gave this clip this title. This is the clip where Robbie is first introduced to the other three members Mazes and drug pushers. They do. They push you listen to this. They push it on him like they're pushing alcohol or drugs. Play the clip and maybe you. Well, they do. I didn't go to class very much, and that's not the best thing for my Uh mark. Why didn't you go to class? Well, I was into some extracurricular activities. I played a game called Mazes and Monsters a little too much. You're kidding. What level? Uh, Ninth. Ninth level. So am I. Oh. Isn't it wonderful to be finally creating your own scenarios? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and your own fantasies, too. I'm really going to miss it. No, you're not. We have been looking desperately for a fourth player. This is wonderful. Just Daniel, Daniel, uh, I want you to meet Daniel. Daniel, meet uh, Robbie. Well, He's level nine. Hey, you going to uh, play with us? Well, no, I really, I can't. My folks... Hey, we're not fanatics. Well, how often do you play? Oh, a couple times a week. No, I really JJ, have to crack the books. Really? Here, no, here, seriously. Here. Well, I'm level nine. Level nine? You didn't tell me that. Oh, we'll sign him up. No, I can't. This semester, I have no, to. No, no, you start. can. Look, please just try one campaign with us. Yeah. Really, good guys. Thanks. Come no, on, no, Robin. And if you don't like it, if it's too much, you can always quit. Yeah. Well, if you're gonna be there. I guess I'll have to give it a shot. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You got some glasses. Yes, yes, yes. Sure, yeah. I also so, love later in the movie where they're like, but we haven't played in like three days. Yeah. Like, like it's a life or death situation to be playing mazes you know. and monsters. Well, that's why, Can we call it Eminem and like D&D? Sure. That's what M&M. I have on my notes. Eminem. Eminem. <laughs> and you it know, also says peanut actually, butter. So I don't know if that's. I have okay. Eminems. Those there are W's. Go. Oh, <laughs> W-W's. But you know what this reminded me of, Nathan, was uh, Days of Wine and Roses when Jack Lemon is wow. desperately trying to get her to try this drink. It's like, no, it's a chocolate drink. You'll love it. It's sweet. It doesn't taste like alcohol. You join me. Join me. Yeah. It felt like that As somebody who doesn't drink, you get this all the time. Sure. Well, just sure. one won't hurt you. Absolutely like, just, right. just have one drink, you know? They play it like it, that, though, yeah. don't they? Well. I'm expecting them to, like, itch and twitch because they're just like, but you're a level nine. You didn't tell us you were a level nine. Yeah. It is very drug-esque. So the the guy that they're enticing or they're trying to get into the mazes of monsters, yeah. he's been in other stuff, right? I've seen him. Yeah, he looks really familiar to me. <laughs> um, was he in The Man with One Red Shoe? He was. Okay. That's what I thought. Anyway, oh. go ahead. 
Mr. Rogers. So the transfer here is... I think he's from Philadelphia. JJ is now the 16-year-old sophomore, but doesn't have any of the problems that Egbert had. Robbie takes the place of Egbert, only he has friends and Egbert didn't. So why is that? Why do you think they split the character? I don't really to know. To give it a more rounded feel. So to war is it like... Because if you only have... They just didn't want to base it too close to the case, you think? I think so. Well, if you just make it about one person, I feel like especially now knowing it was a TV movie Mm -hmm. and not just like a regular movie, they needed to make it more... Palatable. Not necessarily relatable, but yeah, palatable. Like, by rounding out the cast with more people, then instead of just focusing on the one person then it could be seen more as not necessarily a family movie, mm-hmm. but definitely more kid-centric as well. Because well, it's like, I'm a kid, I have friends, we play this, yeah. you know. Like I said, Jack, the movie follows Jaffe's book almost to the letter. So that's right. the way it's, it's um, made up in the book. Yeah. Okay. It's played, they... Is that book her book? I'm assuming that's a her, Jaffe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is hers, what is the genre of hers? Like, what does she market it as? Oh, I don't know. It's a tough, that's a tough, that's it's a tough like, genre. Because she was, I mean, it's like Manhunter. We're talking well, I'm just about, saying like, because yeah. it's, she didn't write a true crime book. Right. She, she was a big enough writer so, at the time that all they had to do was market it as a Rona Jaffe book. No, and I understand so, that. I was just, just curious because if it was, right, if it was pointed more at kids or like, like I said, with a true crime uh, lens on it, it could have been... Well, Viewed differently. Said Cosmopolitan, Rona Jaffe is a master storyteller. This eerie tale follows four young college students. Work, love, families, none is powerful enough to withstand the seductive magic of a secret world existing only in their minds. That's she how, makes that's it sound how like a romance novel. Yeah. Well, it <laughs> yeah. looks like one, doesn't it? It reads like one. So, I mean, there is no dude, subtext in this at all. She tells you exactly what to think about all of the characters. I wonder if it's available in audio. Had I known there was a book, I really dropped the ball because well, usually the credits, I read though, the books man. with mm-hmm. the... It says Rona Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters. She was a, so, uh, a named associate producer on it also. Just because she's named what? on it doesn't she's mean she wrote a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the movie. yeah, but if I wasn't familiar with her, I wouldn't have known mm-hmm. that she wrote a book about it. Like I said, <gasps> it's... Never mind. That's a totally different movie. Nobody knew the full story. Go ahead. Well, nobody knew the full story of Egbert, and even if they had, I don't think they would have adapted that because it's just too. I well, mean, honestly, this movie gets dark. There were parts of this movie where I was like, transfer, "Is this really going <laughs> the direction I thought it was going?" Like, it gets yeah. depressing. Yeah. Well, one one big difference is um, in the movie, Robbie stabs a guy that's trying to mug him in an alley. Book Robbie gets picked up by an older man and taken back to a hotel to render some services for him and stabs him in the Jesus. hotel room. So, so that's basically like the real story. Because if you, al- a little if, bit if you alluded but back had to she known possibly the teachers yeah. preying on him and all. Yeah. Well, there but were we rumors. don't know how much information was out before that book came out. Not a yet. lot. Not, it was mostly just rumors. Well, I mean, speculation. The yeah. fact that, right, but she may have written it off those rumors is Certainly. what I'm saying. I don't doubt that at if all. If there were rumors of the teachers possibly preying on him and things like that. Right. And the fact that he's just a troubled teen in general, you have mm-hmm. a... Obviously, you have so many well, options to go with. What the movie also does is skip over all of the backstories that give any depth to these characters. Completely. And solely Even the parents, sticks said. the blame on yeah. this game. Like, for example, uh, Kate in the movie is frightened of the dark because 
She was once attacked. Freak out in the cave. She was once attacked during a blackout in their laundromat at the dorm. Now they don't put this in the movie, obviously. No, oh, wow. they should have made this a miniseries. But that goes that further been a two-part movie to explain sure. their mindsets and why they did the things they did. In the movie, it's strictly game evil, game bad. Yeah, there's there's jumps game evil. It parents makes. don't understand the yeah. kids. It's it's very kid rebels from parents plays game game bad. Exactly. Like it is very much that. Although at the it same time, I don't, I don't think that it's that harsh on D and D. Oh you? no, not at all. I mean, it like has it doesn't its, frown on it. It doesn't seem like it does. It, it kind of treats whatever they're into that, respectably. Uh, I mean, I the know. parents don't. Well, they may when you not, but I mean, parents. you're not like invested Which, to the point where you're thinking all four of these people are going down this pathway to hell, right? True. You don't think the that parents either. are virtually well, non-existent in this movie, though. Not I mean, in the beginning really. and the end, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like with what little bit we saw, the parents. It, it gives you enough to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially like in the end. It explains JJ's... Um, <laughs> With Vera Miles. JJ's yeah. being alone. I want to mine a bird. Oh. oh, yeah. yeah. This is now the second thing I've watched in the last few months that's had a mine a bird in it, and now I want to mine a bird. I want a, uh, a Casablanca decorative scheme in my bedroom, like he had. I mean, mm. I did like the chairs. That yeah. final bedroom was pretty cool. Yeah. The hospital version, not so, not much. so much. Yeah, they look like an avatar. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you fully expect to see a cow hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> Some people could be into that, and I don't even mean like that. Oh. So Robbie's descent into madness starts really quickly in this movie, as he starts becoming Pardue, who is a character and not a brand of butter like Land O'Lakes, which I would have originally thought. Every time they said Pardue, all I could think of was um, ragu. Gerard Depardieu. Wow. Huh. Isn't that his name? Yeah. Gerard yeah. Depardieu? Yeah. But that's all I could think of every time they would say Pardieu. I'd be like, Gerard And Depardieu. Gerard Depardieu would have been starting his 10 bottles of wine a day habit right around this time. Damn. Which could, you know, you could blame that on D&D. Who knows? You could. They would have, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. As he becomes Pardieu, we get these very interesting scenes like his uh, dream imagining about his, his uh, brother. missing brother who is at the now back. Yeah, they really glossed over that. Yeah, they could have gone like a whole, a lot of. Well, I just mean the characters because he tells her and then she's just like, OK, yeah, like, well, there's and it took her way too long to realize that that's what he was going for. I might be jumping ahead here, but the, the mm-hmm. way the, the movie handles it is there's like this. Once you know that the Robbie character is. A little bit off. Mm-hmm. Literally four minutes of screen time goes by, and I can't tell if there was a commercial break in there. I don't Probably think there not. was. To the point where he's already broken up with his girlfriend. Yeah. And Kate's telling the other guy how wacky he is. So four minutes. We well, have the we dream also, sequence. We got all that. We got this. Like, God damn, they could have spent 20 minutes sequence. on that. Astonishing dream sequence we're going to play a clip of here. Just imagine your head. Your, is it your lost Tom brother. Hanks voicing him? I think so. His brother? Okay. It sounds like it. Yeah. But his brother, who is now backlit severely at the end of a drain pipe and talking to Robbie in his sleep. Are you? Are you? Who are you? I am the Great Hall. Once you gloried in killing, now you are of a higher level. Which 
attain the highest level, you must be holy in all your life. You must be pious, humble, celibate. But I walk with Glacier the fighter. The holy man must walk alone. No, wait, please, Great Hall, I need you. When you are worthy, then you will come to the two towers and be one with the Great Hall. Wait! Hall, please! Weird is I don't know if you saw, but he has a boner. Also, I didn't notice that. No, so for, like you said, it's a dark transfer. So you're you're a parent in the Midwest. You're watching this, and it's scaring the piss out of you because you think. Oh, are you saying that about Katie? That's going to be my kid. You're a parent I'm in the not Midwest. A parent in the Midwest. But still, you get what I'm saying, though. You can see <laughs> where if you were in the in the Midwest, you would be a parent because they. You guarantee a lot of parents did not read this book. A lot of parents didn't care to look into any of this stuff. They see this movie. They see something like that. It's like, why am I not watching Three's Company? That was on tonight. I'm watching this. Yeah. Well, it was a rerun, probably. <laughs> probably by then, yeah. It was December Did the book 28th. Sell well? I don't know. Um, Jason bought a copy. You do so much research. Well, they certainly, but not on books. they certainly act like it did on the cover of this thing with all the. Uh, What's it say? Better Actually, than anything else Rona Jaffe has ever written. Damn, that might just be a slight on her. That could be. They're just throwing shade at her. They're like, how do we get her to quit writing? <laughs> Trying to see what printing this was. Like Halloween six is the best Halloween movie in the franchise. <laughs> no, I have no idea how well it did. It well enough to have a TV movie made at least. That course, doesn't mean anything back then, in. especially if it had motive. This was a, if that movie had motive to push the slight of the satanic panic on D and D, then they would have thrown money at it immensely. Right, that's enough to the get book it was exploitation. It. The movie was exploitation. Both, no question about it. And well, I do, do we know what question. her other books were like? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, sorry. I'm not going to read every damn one of her books to find that. I didn't mean read it. I meant like story-wise. Did she write fantasy? Did she no, write? I don't think so. Like that's what I meant. No, no, I don't think Goodness. so. I think it's just <laughs> adult drama. The stuff you want to, kind of books you take to the beach with you to read casually while you're. I don't consider this adult drama. Like I know that they are adults because they're in college, except mm. for JJ. But I wouldn't have considered this book adult drama. Hmm. But what do I know? Huh? It's, it's a valid opinion. That I wonder about it. I know I didn't mean that in a negative way. I just like <laughs> I personally would. It's like things that they consider a young adult and things like that. It's like would that really have fallen there? Mm. I don't think that this was marketed toward anyone but Children. adults. Yeah, it just just doesn't look like a real page turner. It just course. feels like a kids movie minus right. the it feels motive like a teen behind adult kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. A to like I would have watched a this. A to adult. There you go. A to adult. Not a tween. Well, this was no joke. I mean, everybody was jumping on this bandwagon. and Even Fred Astaire. I've put together a brief clip here of a 60-minute story that ran in 1985 about Dungeons & Dragons that I've cut down to about a minute and a half just to give you some idea of the intellectual investigation. We don't get to see all 60 minutes? No, you don't want There's different stories. This is just to give you a flavor. And Annie Rooney. You don't want to sit through that. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Well, this is Joe Piscopo doing it. This is really just to give you an idea of what kind of conversation was happening around this at the time. D&D, and it's become popular with children anywhere from grammar school on up. 
Not so with a lot of adults who think it's been connected to a number of suicides and murders. The idea of the game, which is played by highly imaginative and intelligent kids, is to assume the role of one of the characters. One game can go on for weeks or even months. The problem seems to be that some kids take it more seriously than others, take it a step further, playing a character who brings them the power in a game they couldn't possibly get in real life. Timothy Grice, 21, shotgun suicide. The detective report noted, D&D became a reality. Irving Bink Pulling, 16, an avid D&D player, a suicide. Daniel and Stephen Irwin, 16 and 12, a murder and a suicide. The police said they were obsessed with the game. James Allen Kirby, 14 years old, charged with killing his junior high school principal and wounding three other people. Police are blaming D&D. Dr. Thomas Radecki is a psychiatrist who teaches at the University of Illinois Medical School and who is chairman of the National Coalition on Television Violence. It's not coincidence, not when you have careful documentation, you have careful notes, you have eyewitnesses. For instance, one case the parents were actually saw their child summon uh, Dungeons and Dragons demons into his room before he killed himself. Another case the kid had thought he had the ability to astral travel coming from the D Dungeons and Dragons game that he could leave his body and come back and he had rigged it up just according to the rule book so he could do it. He was surrounded by his materials and put a bullet in his head so he could leave his body and he's never come back. Children are dying Ed Children are dying out there and people are not telling. This is literally what they do now with video games. That last voice you heard is Patricia Pulling. She formed Some the- Some out of her ass, I'll tell you. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> she formed the Bothered by Dungeons and Dragons group in 1985. That's the name of it? Yeah. Bothered by? Yeah. After her son committed well, her son committed suicide in 1982 and she believed it to be a Dungeons and Dragons curse that had been placed on him. Oh my god. Uh she also Was he in do you know if he was an avid player or no? Uh he was. Okay. But still, Patricia also claimed to a Richmond newspaper that 8% of the residents of Richmond, Virginia were satanists. No evidence to back that up. Just I mean, I used to live there. near Richmond, Virginia and uh no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just well, she also claimed... I mean, I'm not kidding that I used to live near there, well, but I'm kidding about the other her, her It's actual, 9%. Her yeah. actual claim, Katie, was that 4% of the adults and 4% of the children were in, in Satanists. Therefore, 8% of the population was Satanists. And so, so my thing was, was the 4% that, that, that were kids... Well, if those 4% that were kids, were they the kids of the adults? Because then that would make sense, at least. <laughs> or were they kids that, that is, belonged to other adults? That is as specific as it got. But yes, you're right. This is the same That's because argument. they have nothing to found it on. Yeah. They're like, let's just throw the most random shit out there and hopefully something will stick. Well, yeah, this, that's how all of this worked. You can draw a straight line from the D&D scare to the PMRC or to Parents Music Resource Council, which held oh, okay. their hearings. It was the wives of a bunch of senators that including uh, Gore's wife. Was it, did, oh, I was going to say she did. Gore. Tipper. Uh, Okay, then I am familiar with it. I've just never heard it as an acronym. You could draw a straight Sorry. line to that. You could draw a line from this to heavy to heavy metal music bad, kids wear black t-shirts mm -hmm. bad, which gets you to the West Memphis Three. Oh, God. Well, that, yeah, that was back it's the, Judas Priest it is the same too. arguments over and over. Yeah, backmasking yeah. on Judas Priest I records mean, led, led our kid to suicide. And also, you know, I played D&D. &D. I do not remember anywhere in the Magic User's guide referring to having a gun to shoot yourself to astral project mm -hmm. where did he get the gun that's 
glossed over completely. It was all the fault of this game. Well, because you don't want to put it on the fault of the people for owning guns. It's the game. Like, it... I will also mention... Uh, it's just a convenient... I didn't cut this yeah. blame. There's nothing that I cut out there. When the guy says parents actually witnessed their kids summon a Dungeons & Dragons demon right there in front of them, that goes unquestioned in this yeah. report. My thing is, no is one if the parents saw it, that, what were they on? Nobody asks about it. Nobody follows up on it. It's just taken for granted that that's what happened. That's why I kind of like laughed when he said it. I yeah. Was like, okay. And with complete seriousness. What's the absurdity of it? Yeah. He, yeah. he believes it though. Certainly. He believes it. Yeah. And he's a doctor. That's the scary part. Yeah. But it did say on the bottom, it said his name, Dr. Detroit. So, did it? Yeah. <laughs> I think he has it out for mother. It's not time to call the doctor. Yeah. It's not a serious oh. case. <laughs> I sense dismay. No, just, and thirst. I don't know. You just, and thirst. I just don't know. That's now my new my new thing. If I don't have any idea what you're talking you about, mm. Mm. this the movie isn't isn't quite a hate watch, but it, it is so cringy. Everything. Uh, I, so. I think it's a product of it its makes time. You go, oh God, really? And they're they're supposed His performance to be like is a little cringy, nerdiest though. of nerdy. Who's mm. Hanks. Because he's like, oh no, what's going on? And it's just like, all right. Could you just... ima- Listen, you want to hear a funny story? I fell asleep the other night and woke up in the kitchen. Could you imagine if you fell asleep and woke up in New York, how you would be feeling? Because it freaked me out just to wake up in the kitchen in my same apartment. Okay. Just saying. Like, I love when people are, and this isn't a jab at you, Nathan, but I like when people are like, but look how we acted. Okay, put yourself in those shoes. How would you have acted? Why are you attacking me, Katie? Woke up randomly in New York with blood on your hands holding a knife when the last thing you remember was going to bed in your your college dorm. And then I met up with Paul Hogan, and he's like, that's not a knife. Mm. That's a knife. No, sorry. I see you've anyway. played Spoony before. Oh, I um, I laughed when I was watching this this morning because they bring up Star Trek, and I was like, "Oh, they did your guys' job for you." Shit, that's wow. the first drop of Star Trek in this episode. Wow. Huh. We didn't do it at all in the last episode. I think I did. I think I I thought I did. Maybe yeah. I zoned out. Maybe then. if we played the episode backwards, we'll hear the secret message. Ooh, where there you go. Drops a Star <laughs> Trek reference. That's true. And. uh... <laughs> We got to talk about the Great Hall, by the way. Mm-hmm. How about the fact that they never? Well, of course, <laughs> when, especially when, when he does David Byrne. Heard... <laughs> when you guys heard two towers, what did you think of first? Lord of the Rings or New York City? Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and he even says oh, that. I JJ says New York. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I know you he know does. that that's it going to be them, the twin towers. It took yeah. them being in New York to finally go. Oh shit. There's buildings yeah, here called the that, Two Towers. That when he, it takes him that long, I'm like, what the hell, dude? And if she yeah. liked him so much, why did it take her that long to remember that he had a, a missing brother named Hall? Yeah, that's true. She's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There that were, one time yeah. before we made out, he told me about his brother. No. <laughs> there are a lot of problems in this movie that could have been resolved. There's a lot of two or yeah, three that's conversation. What, that's why I'm saying it could have been a miniseries. There's a lot of exposition that's just... Not mm. there. Oh, the exposition is taken verbatim from this book. Yeah, but it it's really like is. you dropped, you said they dropped the backstories from the book. And the parents, too. Like, yeah. they, that they talked more about the parents' upbringing and then that we don't get any of that. Well, in, honestly, when I got to those parts of the movie. book, I kind of skipped them because I didn't care. 
<laughs> well, do they have an impact on the actual characters or not? Not really. It's just flesh. Doesn't know. He didn't read them. <laughs> well, we do know that they had sex. But if Jason didn't read that part, he might not know that, mm. that they bear children. I feel like they did. Who? Never mind. The parents. I, I don't know. I thought you the meant when you said they had sex. sex. I thought, oh, okay. kids. I thought you anyway. meant Tom Hanks and. Well, I don't know about woman. that. Maybe that's in the book. It looks like a that's romance That's why when you novel. said kid, I was like, I mean, we knew they were doing it because his dead brother told him he couldn't anymore because yeah, he was a, a holy man. But we never got a scene where he's like, but I haven't popped my cherry yet. And then he was like, well, he pause in the middle of it like that too. Yeah. <laughs> and then his brother's like, look, I know I can see all, I know you haven't popped your cherry. I'm just wow. saying when you get to that point, celibacy. <laughs> celibacy. So you want to, okay. So I started this movie and they go to school and then they're all like, let's play D and D. And it immediately made me think of Chakma. Because remember oh, wow. when they go to the school <laughs> because they're playing that like weird Joe would love like this fantasy episode. based. Mm. He loves Shaka. <laughs> but they play that. Shaka's fantastic. Yeah, that was my first uh, Agfa screening I ever went to. But, but anyway, yeah. What got you from well, this to Shakma? Well, because when they all go back to the building in Shakma, it's to play some weird fantasy based game. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There just happened to be a weird, rabid killer monkey. And then there was a reference to Denton so, in this, and that made me think of Shockma treatment. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. No, There's no reference to Denton. <laughs> I just had to. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was, I was like, I watched this. I don't remember that. But I do like Shockma. Uh, I mean, uh, mm. Shockma shock treatment. treatment. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, we, we should mention that, detect, that private investigator William Deere is sort of represented in this movie. Did you say you should mention it? Like you were telling me to mention it? <laughs> yes. I don't even know. Okay, we go ahead. Sort and tell of me. Oh, by the way, the private investigator was sort of represented in the film. Yeah. By the character of Detective Martini, as portrayed by Murray Hamilton. Oh, that's right. The great Murray Hamilton, who is in what movie? I don't know. Can't think of it off the top Am of my head. Am I supposed to know If this? we mention Star Trek, well, yes. what other movie do we uh, reference do we usually drop? Well, Jaws to? There you 3D. go. Well, he's in Jaws. And Jaws 2. But anyway. Well, you always specify Jaws 3D. Well, he was, he was in the shark's stomach in Jaws 3D, so you didn't see him that much. No, that's Simon McCorkendale. <laughs> God damn. Corkendale didn't make it all the way Wait, <gasps> hold on. Never mind. I'm not going to put myself That's out Nirvana. there for that. We'll oh, deal with that in the Jaws episode. Okay. No, I was still talking about Jaws. I wasn't even listening Always. to <laughs> Can we get off the subject of Jaws, please? I did kind of like <laughs> how about when Robbie gets to New York, we know it's New York because of all the loud, squonky saxophone music they throw in there. Yeah, it's nightmare mode. I'm, yeah. But you know what's cool? That, well, I talked to you about mentioning this, how it had some great New York shots, and you get like... Uh, some mm. pretty awesome movie posters in the background. That's true. Central to 82 when this was shot. Yeah. An officer and a gentleman. Yeah. An officer and a gentleman. That one too. German. <laughs> and Amityville to the possession. Yep. Oh, and uh, JJ has a Blade yeah. Runner poster up in his dorm room. Yeah. And in, in that uh, same dormitory, there's another movie poster. Do you know what it is? Oh, I can't think of it. What is it, Nathan? It's an Australian film from 81 that released here in 82. Mm, Mad Max? 
Mad Max Road Warrior, yeah. Red Mad the Max Road Warrior. Oh, okay. right. I must admit, I don't know how I missed that one. It's in that hallway mm. in the background. It's in very, there's in a lot of scenes just as much as the Blade Runner. Is it the is. scene where they were looking for Robbie when they were talking to the other students? It might have been. It's in that back top yeah. corner. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of hallway scenes and you see it in there mm. quite a bit. And then the other thing I was going to say about the Great Hall. Yeah. It's another type of Great Hall that has to do with this movie. And it is the actor who played Goreville. Which is the demon demon that he sees? Okay, mm-hmm. and that is Kevin Peter Hall. Really? Oh. Yeah, and he ended up going off to play the Predator after. Oh, he's the Predator after yeah. Jean Claude Van Damme was taken Hendersons. out of it. Yep, <gasps> and he also did the TV series of Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, I love Harry and the Hendersons. And he sadly passed away not long after Predator Two. Really? So, yeah. He was also in Star Trek. Yeah, he did a lot of. <gasps> Big top peewee. There you go. Yeah, he did a lot of great stuff. Unlike that Hanks guy, which we never. He heard didn't from do again, much I else. I know. He, I know he got married. He had a bachelor party, and, then, <laughs> and there was a big splash about that. Mm. But oh my god, I, I love this. I don't know what else he could have done. If I wanted to see him he, cry on top of a big wa- building in New York, I would have just watched Sleepless well, in Seattle. Well, he moved with his wife out to the Burbs, I heard. That's true. Okay. Yeah, he had some cantankerous I neighbors. hear he gets mail. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to put Joe versus the volcano in there. Uh, yeah, I was, I you know what? There. I thought about that. <laughs> Where would you go with that? The brain fog or the... Uh, I would just reference a pagoda some kind of way. The, the orange shasta. <laughs> now I just want to have a Tom Hanks marathon. Yeah. Well, a lot of that. Dragnet, Turner and Hooch. Well, this was his first leading oh, role Turner in a movie, and his entire career rested on this. This was the cornerstone. Was it's his called Mazes and Sheep. Was his last dramatic scene in this movie. Which kind of illustrates my point. Robbie! 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 Pardue, what are you doing? Going to join the Great Hall. You can't. It's a trap. I have spells. I'm going to fly. You don't have enough points. I am the maze controller. Maze Maze controller? Yes. And I have absolute authority in this game. Game? Game. TJ, what am I doing here? Kate, why can't I remember? Friend, you can turn to when cold winds blow. And then you'll know. So can we talk about their freaking reactions to the fact that he still thinks he's in a game? 
Like the mother should have warned them of that before they yeah. walked out there. That's the other thing like, I was gonna say. She she talks about hey, it's I think not she's your fault. also in denial over there, it. This, it's well, she knows that he has this. He's got mental issues. I mean, it's, I think it's a decent representation of mental illness. Whether you think uh, Tom Hanks does a good job or not. The, I'm no, not I think he does like a good job. No, I think he does it. a good one, but there's moments like that where you could just dial it a certain direction a little hmm. bit. You know what I mean? Also, can we talk about the fact that they wouldn't quit calling him Robbie and they know that he thinks he's Pardue? Why wouldn't they just fucking call him that from the beginning? Sorry, I didn't mean to drop an F bomb. I, I know did. Jason tries to keep these curse free. Except for D and D curses. Could be wrong. But it's like <laughs> but it's like when they're trying to get his attention when he's up a floor and they're like Robbie Robbie and right. he's clearly not listening like mm-hmm. you know he thinks he's Pardue so why wouldn't you just say that well it goes back to what you were saying earlier about the conclusions they make after the fact they're clearly yeah. not like, the most keen investigative no, and they seem like very bright kids and one of which is a child prodigy am I yeah exactly. so it's like duh can't pick up on social cues no no they don't yeah it is implied in this movie that, we, that they don't really do that good a job of explaining how any of them got to this point. And granted, it's a TV movie. You've only got so much time. So they skip over a lot. But even a little bit would have been nice. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. That, that's the other thing I was going to ask. Because she... my brother disappeared at on Halloween one night does not get you to this. Oh, I thought you were on telling me birthday. a story. Okay. <laughs> I was like, Jason that's, has a brother? That's not enough not of anymore. an explanation to get Halloween. you to this. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know, draw your own conclusions. Hmm. But that's what I was wondering, like, Rona Jaffe's name is above the title on the movie in the credits at mm-hmm. the beginning. So they're really kind of pushing the whole fact that this is based on that novel. You yeah. think it, I would have thought that it could have done a miniseries with this, like a two-part, like a conclusion, what happens to Robbie when he's in New York, that kind of thing. That's the second night, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, it seems... Pressed together. There's that, and uh, it was a real Tuesday night movie that came in between Christmas and New Year's. True. So yeah. it kind of feels like fully sponsored by Procter and Gamble, by the way. It was their studio? <laughs> yeah, that's Procter funny. and Gamble studio produced it. And it's got weird. I don't know if it's truly public domain or not, because what? in this movie, the movie, because in the '90s. The fact it's free on YouTube might allude to that. Maybe. Well, you would think so. Yeah. And this is, I don't think this is an official, official release. The this DVD? Is, yeah. The, this is oh, the no. same company that put out mansion of the doomed. And that was not based on any kind of contractual. Mm. They were the first ones to put it out on DVD. But anyway, hmm. in the, in the nineties, there was a, a few video companies that distributed this like as, you know, a budget title uh, that was, public domain that was like Eddie Entertainment and Front mm-hmm. Row Entertainment and a few others. TBS Netflix used to play this all the time. And you knew you were like, oh shit, I wanted Night of the Cobra Woman. I got Mazes and Monsters because it's a TV movie. You want an yeah. exploitation film, a true exploitation film mm-hmm. at that hour, you know, but oh well. Oh yeah. It's not going to be squirm tonight. It might be squirming, but it won't be the squirm. It's probably also true that without all those replays, this movie would have been forgotten for good. Probably, yeah. CBS ran it a couple more times, at least in the 80s. They did it like every two years they would show it. Probably once a new preschool case would come up, they would pop this one out to take advantage of it. Have 
and it's funny that you bring up that Procter and Gamble made it mm-hmm. because have you heard any of the rumors and speculation that they've been a Satanist company? I've heard that. Okay. And it goes all the way back to the eighties. So it's interesting that this film so it's like damage is, control. I wonder, cause I didn't know watching it that it was distributed by them. So it, it does make you wonder if this wasn't maybe part of them being like, cause I just Googled to see how far back those allegations have been coming up yeah. and it's been since the eighties. Wasn't it somebody like overanalyzed their logo and decided it had mm-hmm. satanic, but that was a more current thing. So yeah, I don't know if their logo has changed over the years or not, but I remember cause, uh, Back in the day when my parents owned a business, they did contractual work for Procter and Gamble in Baltimore. And I remember blood signatures. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, me and my sister were taken up there. And uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, it does make you wonder. Wait, I heard uh, that stuff back then mm-hmm. that they were dabbling in that kind of stuff. So it, it's interesting now knowing that they made this film if that isn't part, like Nathan said, damage control. Well, the, the panic spread fast, and it was almost like the Red Scare. It was everywhere. Everybody yeah. was getting accused. Every movie, every video. Like, maybe not mm-hmm. so much video games in 1980 or 82. I mean, no one was accusing Pac-Man. I don't know. Mario was pretty shysty. Ast- asteroids <laughs> being satanic. Elevator action led to a lot of intrigue. <laughs> Burger time, heavily. Satanic. Burger time, yeah. Dude, get burger the, time. That's the best game right there. That's my fave. It's frustrating. Donkey what? Kong, Donkey Kong and its giant blasphemous monkey. You're just saying that because you're vegan. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I don't think I've played Burger Time since then. But well, realistically, it's like root beer tapper. Realistically, this all this stuff did, all this movie did, all the book did was make D&D and everything about it even more popular than it had ever been. Same thing happened with the Parents Music Resource Committee. They made every album they brought in front of that committee staggeringly popular. It still exists now with other things. Sure. It's almost like the more fight you have against it, the more people want it. Absolutely. True. I do have to say. Or at least. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, or at least want to know about it. Yeah. Like, even if you don't necessarily want anything to do with Mm -hmm. it. I just wanted to just. Press the point that we're not, when we say Proctor and Gamble, we are not talking about Lance Kinsey at all, who played Proctor in the Police Academy films. He is not a Satanist. If you say so. He can't be. He's too damn lovable. <laughs> that Although that's anything. true. That could go either way. You're right. Because look at all of the really shysty, horrible religious people. <laughs> I mean, mm. <laughs> Mazes and Monsters. Watch it if you want to. I don't think it's... You're not going to get much out YouTube. of it just as a movie. What like, happened to the kid, though? I don't know. I did. Egbert? Yeah. Egbert! Egbert, after his rescue, he spent some time living with William Dare, I think, off and on before he was confident enough to move back in with his parents. He's kind of got his act together. He got a job. Uh, he was writing letters back and forth to Dare about how things were looking up for him, but the letters took a turn. Like as in Dare as in the drug campaign? No. The detect. The oh. Die. oh, I forgot his name. Sorry. So <laughs> I was like... But he started complaining that his mother was again badgering him and pushing him. He was heading down a dark path again, and then about a year after his that rescue, really and the next year he put a gun to his head and shot himself. Oh, wow. And then, oh, 
man. died on a respirator seven days later. Holy shit. So he, whatever happened with him by the time he got to the steam tunnels and ended up in Morgan City, went to the grave with him. Wow. No one will ever know. Did they ever say if he, and I'm just reaching here, did he have a brother that went missing? Like, where did that part come from? No. He had no his brother no. did not I was just curious. Made up for the book. But they have, well, they have also said, too, that people with higher IQs, because they said that uh, Albert Einstein struggled mm-hmm. with this a lot, of just being able to communicate and deal with normal people on a normal day-to-day basis. Yeah, right. that's true. So it, I'm sure it had its mental toll on him, plus on top of being in an environment where he is 16 and nobody's going to want to deal with the underage kid, plus right. having the drug addiction, like, it it couldn't have been easy. Plus, he had, it seems like, a lot of pressure from his mother oh, to absolutely. just be more than probably. And, I mean, you even feel that kind of with some of the characters in the film, mm-hmm. because is it Danny? He wanted to make video games, and his dad's like, you can't do that. Like, no right. respectable child of mine is going to be a video game. You know what I mean? Right. So it kind of, I don't know, that's just sad. So you, you played, you said you played D&D? Were you? Me? I did, yeah. Well, oh, I was like, no. Way no. back in the day, yeah. No, I, um, I'm not made for it. I haven't touched it in a very, very, very long it time. It gives me major anxiety. Hmm. But I was, I was familiar with it for a number of years, yeah. My mom played it back in the day. What about me? I don't know. Did you play it, Nathan? No, but I did <laughs> play CNC, Music Factory. Factory. <laughs> you were, you wanted... You wanted so badly someone to set that up for you. We should have just never asked. Why do we keep falling into that trap, Katie? Why do we keep doing this with Nathan? What? Because it's fun. I can't help it if I'm going to make you sweat. Oh, I mean, I am pretty sweaty. I turned the air off for the recording. Just let the rhythm take control. That's all you got to do. Let the rhythm move you, Katie. So with that, we'll draw the episode to a merciful close. If you... Watch Mazes and Monsters. You'll get a feel for what's in the book. And please, if you can, look into the whole history of Egbert, Dallas Egbert the Third. Egbert. And also, and while you're Egbert. at it, look up Engelbert Humperdinck. Engelbert Humperdinck. Great hits. His trials. Yes. And don't overshadow Egbert with Engelbert. Humperdinck. That can't be helped. He has such a sensational I feel like career. You're going to put a lyric yeah. in here that I'm not going to know about. Well, I mean, oh. a bit of a quiet night. Make it an Engelbert night. Oh, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. And with that, another show has drawn to a close. Thank you for listening. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com. Enjoy the rest of your day. Kisses.
Bridget, what am I doing here?